Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Roland Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am the duly elected Sorcerer King of Tier, Ryan Howard, and thank you for listening to another great episode of Roland Bones. This week on the podcast, we are having a uh, another friend of Levi Combs and Skeeter Greens. Uh, this is a guy who's been very active in RPGs for almost 20 years now. Uh, he's done a lot of really cool stuff with uh, with Necromancer games and Frog God games. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Casey W. Christofferson. We had a great conversation. It was a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, I'm noticing that Skeeter and Levi are friends with a lot of really cool people, so uh, guys, if you have any other friends who want to come on the show, uh, just keep sending them my way. I'm having a lot of fun going all the way through your your contacts list and, and talking with, with all these great people that have done a lot of really cool things in the RPG world. Uh, before we jump into today's interview, though, just a couple of uh, quick plugs. Uh, first and foremost, Eldritch Foundry is up and running now. Uh, a lot of the bugs that were present early on are fixed now, uh, so the tool is no longer broken, and you can actually order your miniatures. I've not ordered one yet. I'll be doing so fairly soon. Uh, there are still a couple problems, namely, I don't feel that there's enough customization options as far as the size of your actual miniature, you know, making like a, a, a larger human or a larger half-elf or a smaller dwarf or something like that. I feel like there needs to be a few like size customization options, kind of like a Hero Forge has. Also, there are nowhere near enough outfits yet. And uh, there's still no hats, still no cloaks, and some of the weapon variety is still not the greatest. I still don't think there's any crossbows, but I have faith that they will work all of that out. They've got a content roadmap, and hopefully we'll be able to have all that cool stuff sooner rather than later. But Eldritch Foundry is up and running. Those are great guys if you want to support them. They had a rough launch. Uh, they they really do deserve your, your support. They, they were very proactive in closing the loop on those problems that their program had at launch. And... Uh, you know, they, they do deserve your support. They are putting out a good product, and I hope to see them succeed and grow and just do all the cool things that, that other companies are already doing, but better. Because they definitely have the capacity to do that. I, I really like the look of their miniatures. I just want to see a few improvements to the platform. And uh, with that out of the way, I do have another quick plug. Uh, this one is for our guest this week. Um, Casey Christofferson on Indiegogo has a uh, Thanksgiving-themed adventure that is available now. Uh, it is called Feast of the Gobbler, and I just want to read a little bit of the copy here on Indiegogo because it's fantastic. What evil lurks in the deep woods? 
Only the Gobbler knows. The Innie-nominated adventure, originally released over 16 years ago, returns with a fury of bad puns and just desserts. If you're not in after that paragraph, then I, I don't think we can be friends. But yeah, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Casey talks about it a little bit at the end of the interview. It, it is a Thanksgiving-themed adventure, and I would love to play it sometime, but unfortunately, I have now fallen into perma-DM status. But with that out of the way, uh, let's get into the bulk of today's episode, that being this interview with Casey Christofferson. I hope you all enjoy it. I certainly did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at long last, please welcome onto Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, a man who uh, previous guest Skeeter Green said could draw. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Casey Christofferson. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I can draw. That's true. <laughs> and that's underselling it quite a bit. Casey Christofferson has has quite a few RPGs to his name. Uh, he's very accomplished. He comes highly recommended from both Skeeter and Levi Combs. Casey, welcome to Rolling Bones. Absolutely. It's wonderful to be here. Gotcha. So we are going to start this episode the same way we start every episode. I'm going to ask you these questions that everyone gets asked when they come on the show. So, Casey, how did you get into RPGs? Okay. Um, I was about eight or nine years old, and uh, we had a... Uh, like one of those, you know, like fun days, community days at my uh, elementary school. And uh, the neighbor kid, literally next door neighbor, he was like 13, 12, 13. Um, he walks by and sees me making this dragon out of clay. And uh, he goes, Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, I don't know what that <laughs> is, you know. And he's like, you know, come over tomorrow and we'll play. And so I tell my mom, hey, I'm going to Joe's to play Dungeons and Dragons immediately. My mom's like, this kid's 13, you're eight, stay on the porch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so she can look over the hedge and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a, he was a cool dude. I mean, he, he taught me how to play baseball. Um, I've been a lifelong fan of baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was, he was just one of those cool older kids that looked out for the younger kids in the neighborhood kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I made my first character named uh, Tork the first, followed the same afternoon by Tork the second and Tork, I believe, the third, because we played that uh, introductory adventure in the uh, in the blue box, mm -hmm. basic D&D blue box, yep. uh, where they had the things, uh, I think they're called Tholes, is that what they were? There was like a cross between a ghoul and something else, and... Uh, I can't remember exactly, but you, you climb in a ladder, and if you miss your, if you if you don't like look around to see what's going on, they grab you and pull you out of this uh, trap door and eat you. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, yeah, and and then you know, cursed ring, put the ring on it, eats your finger off, and immediately eats the rest of your arm because mm -hmm. it's some kind of ring of disintegrating or something. And yeah, I mean, he he killed the hell out of me, but I, you know, I was hooked. I had fun. I was over there, you know, a couple days a week. Hey, let's play D and D. Uh, and by the end of the summer, he kind of gave me the box set. He's like, here, you know, I got uh, going into eighth grade, whatever. I got a lot of sports he's going to be doing. So that's what's going on. Uh, and so that's all I asked for, for birthday and Christmas for like the next several years. Now, the cool thing is that my aunt and uncle lived in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is literally a stone's throw from Lake Geneva. And so 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old me, we'd literally drive past the dungeon hobby shop. And I'd be like, ooh, that's the place. 
we got to stop before we get to my uncle's house. Mm-hmm. And my dad would be like, he really wanted to catch Lakers and drink margaritas, but he he was cool enough to stop and uh, we'd go in and uh, so I'd get books there when they had like the three packs and the shrink wrap and stuff. And I didn't realize this whole time I was basically buying from the guys who were writing the books because mm-hmm. TSR was in that building yep. upstairs. Uh, one year I went in and I bought a, I, I got really into Vikings because Christofferson last name, obviously were uh, Norwegian mm-hmm. and uh, he, uh, I want a Viking miniature, but I couldn't find any at any of the local stores anywhere in Iowa where I grew up. And I go in, and here's the old guy, and he's like, oh, you know, oh, Viking miniature, sure. We, we got some of those right over here. And walks me over, and he's kind of bigger guy, beard, big, thick glasses. And I just was always blown away by the diorama that they had in the window because uh, they had, uh, you know, Tharks and Barsoom stuff was on the outside upper floor, and then it got into dungeon stuff as you got lower but anyways he takes me over and i pick up this miniature and i'm like this is the one and he's like cool deal that was gary gygax i bought a miniature <laughs> from gary gygax when i was like 10 11 years old i still have it in a box somewhere uh like safely hidden uh and it's lead you know and it's painted and it's crew paint job but yeah so that's that's kind of where i got my start then i played with a cub scout group uh and we ended up it was more of a D group than a cub scout group and I don't know. By the time I was eleven or twelve, I was the, I was the DM, and I've pretty much been the DM ever since. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Yeah, you you were the second guest uh, that I've had on the show that that's been to that original location, and the first one was Larry Elmore. So, yeah. <laughs> Larry's a good dude. I yep. like him a lot. He's he's a very personable guy. He's a, I imagine he was a fantastic interview. Absolutely. Talk about a guy who you you ask a question, and then twenty minutes later, you have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you got a fantastic journey on the way from uh, from the question to the answer, mm-hmm. and and yeah. along the way he answered my next five questions, so it, it was well <laughs> worth it. He's a good dude, <laughs> absolutely. Casey, of all the games that you've played over your your years of playing RPGs, what would you say is your favorite game or game system? Man, you know it's it's funny. Uh, I, I'm I'm really really fond of the uh, AD and D. Um, but I play whatever the most current edition is. My favorite one to help design was uh, Castles and Crusades because mm-hmm. I can play and run and write for Castles and Crusades like in my sleep. So I don't have to have someone else do stats for me or worry about any of that kind of stuff. I can just naturally, because it's very much like uh, AD&D. It's kind of a little bit AD&D first and second edition fused with a little third edition. Um, I really loved uh, the James Bond game. Uh that was I, I actually liked that one better than Top Secret, uh, and and I like the uh, I think it's second edition uh, of uh, uh, one of the cowboy games where it's just so brutal because it doesn't matter. You're just first time you get hit by a bullet, your dude is dead, and you're never gonna level up. Boot Hill second edition I think was man so so hardcore. But I, I kind of the the grown up me really appreciates that game. Mm-hmm. Um, Call of Cthulhu. I really I really uh, of course dig that but I, i'm not good at running it I, I i have a fantasy of being good at running it and i have a fantasy of being good at writing it but i just can't put myself in that i have to be in this dark fantasy setting that's kind of where i'm at you know mm-hmm. as, as a writer and i can write some science fiction and stuff but uh uh man i just i can't run call of cthulhu at all i'm good at going insane and dying horribly uh <laughs> Oh, and uh, Deadlands. Deadlands was a lot of fun for me, I too. I love Deadlands. Yeah, Deadlands. I never have anybody wants to play with me, but I love that game. 
I I run into the same problem. My old group from from when I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, I played mm-hmm. one Deadlands game with them, and I actually I got to talk to Shane Hensley on this show about this. I am such a dork about Western stuff that I put in all this cool actual history stuff and made sure that like everything that's going to happen is basically how it would have happened in in the old west but with this deadlands twist none of them gave a shit (laughs) that sounds exactly that's that's the story of uh, all of us who do any kind of design work or any writing homebrew stuff that's 100 how it turns out um I liked it uh, because um, I, I sat down and played it at a convention, and I'd never played it before, never heard of it before. I'd been years away from gaming, and uh, they, they give me uh, the Revenant character, you know, and I uh, go into it, and, you know, I got, like, the Lamat pistols, and I'm kind of feeling like a badass, and I've actually shot similar-type firearms before because my dad's a big black powder guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. I'm in, get the books, read through it all. Yeah, nobody wants to play. Yeah. Uh, but but what I what I got to was I'm like this game is uh, straight up. Um, there was a cartoon, there was a comic that would uh, run every so often in heavy metal or epic or one of those mm-hmm. called Texarkana. And uh, I'm like, this game is is actually Texarkana. It was all of these uh, like fables of the weird west, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's, it was like ghost stories and witches and all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, people encountering zombies and all of this, you know, way before any of that was cool. Cause it would have been probably the eighties. So it was cool to people who were into cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And now all of that stuff is so mainstream, you know, yep. uh, we did a good job of, uh, of brainwashing everyone into liking the stuff we like, I think. Absolutely. Yep. The, the nerds have won. <laughs> And it's a global thing. It's hands down. I mean, I, I've got uh, friends all over the world who are 100% into the into the geek culture. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's it's very telling that uh, nowadays at work when I tell people, you know, I play D and D. Not only can I find a bunch of people who also play D and D, but the right. people who don't are like, oh, that I know what that is. That's cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a they they don't act as weird about it where I work now as they did when I was teaching elementary school. So (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, actually, you know, I mean, I end up in, I train a lot of these uh, kids and as artists, you know, as illustrators and stuff. And I kind of jumpstart them because I go, you know, you can do all of this kind of stuff, but here's 20 shortcuts that they never taught me when I was your age, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so, so it's nice uh then you know some of them are really good and they're really into the fantasy stuff or the the geek culture stuff and I can hook them up with the right people just because of all the folks I've met in the last 18 years you know mm-hmm. and uh you know they they start getting money and uh, the principal comes in and goes you got this kid a job and I'm like yeah <laughs> like and they're like that's awesome you know which is <laughs> totally different than it would have been you know, 16 years ago in my teaching career when they would have been like, yeah, you really shouldn't be, you know, influencing these kids with this weird stuff, I guess. I don't know. So, winning. So, Casey, you uh, talked a little bit about your first character, Torque the First. Uh, yeah, tell and us the a second bit, and third. T- tell us a little <laughs> bit more about uh, Torque and his, his, I guess, two younger brothers. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a uh, fighting man. Uh, I think that's what they called him then, uh, a fighter, fighting man. 
I really was into uh, King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table, that kind of stuff. Uh, Errol Flynn movies. I, I forget they had on uh, WGN when we first got cable. Uh, they, they'd show all of the uh, classic films on like Sunday mornings, Sunday or Saturday afternoons. I can't remember. But they'd show like Treasure Island and uh, Robin Hood and Captain Blood and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I believe uh, they had the, uh, what was the old uh, Tony Curtis uh was it uh, of the Vikings movie and all of that kind of stuff yep. and uh, Prince Valiant, you know? And so I was into, I was into the Knights. I was into the armor. I was into all of that kind of stuff. And I was drawing all of that kind of stuff as like a six, seven year old kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I wanted to be one of those guys. I wanted to be a knight, and I wanted to have every weapon under the sun that was in the weapons catalog, you know, <laughs> that you could get, you know, it's like, Oh, well, obviously I have to have a lance and a shield and a mace and an ax. And it's like, yeah, where are you going to carry all that stuff? You know, you, you don't think about that when you're eight, nine years old, you know? Uh, and so, uh, but, uh, it's like my, uh, my aspirations for characters changed pretty rapidly. And I kind of went from the guys in armor to the kind of uh, brutish, uh, barbarian Viking type guys. Cause I got really into, uh, my dad started handing me, uh, Elric Melnabon and he handed me, uh, uh, Robert Howard novels and, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs and, uh, all of this. And so, I mean, I was, I was just, I was just feed me. I was eating it all up, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I still to this day, I mean, you know, and I read Lord of the Rings, I read The Hobbit and all of that, and I loved them, but uh, it was it was always, I'd always end up getting back to Conan or Fafford and the Grey Mouser or, and, and uh, you know, characters like that that were a little more uh, brooding and a little more, uh, it, it's like, uh, I like the smart barbarians now. Mm-hmm. The ones that, uh, you know, have that a uh, little higher intelligence than their stereotype goes for because yeah. that makes them a lot more dangerous than the ones that are just muscle, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. absolutely. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was Torek. He, he died a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up and passed him on to, uh, one of the players in my high school group. Well, middle school, I think we started in seventh grade and ended up and played all the way till we were like at least junior seniors in high school. Uh, we started losing guys who graduated and went off to join the military. And the thing is, that whole stigma about it being geeky or weird never really hit my table that much. Mm-hmm. Because I had dudes who played football. I had dudes who ran track, you know, golf team, whatever. Uh, I, you know, uh, baseball players. You know, so sometimes they'd have to drop out for part of a season because they were doing sports or activities. But it, it was like we had a pretty diverse group of people that we played with. Except in the day, it was mostly guys and uh now my group is definitely more diverse because i play with like four girls and two other guys so mm-hmm. it might be five girls some days so one of my daughter's uh, high school friends and their parents so gotcha yeah that's pretty cool it's pretty fun and they, they do really good they're, they're a really great group over the years we all kind of develop our our individual styles as mm-hmm. players and as gms uh how would you describe your play style both kind of as a player and as a gm well um as a player I, I i'm as i've gotten older i'm more conscious of being a uh, team player and not kind of dominating or bullying other people at the table with you know whatever my idea is uh but i will try and get everyone else involved i really you know will role play it up uh i'll play like bards that are really mouthy uh 
uh, as uh, David Chenault, who's uh, one of the two main creative guys over at uh, Trollord Games, uh, I'd play in conventions with him where he'd play the uh, he'd play the arrogant uh, cavalier, and then I'd be his herald bard. Mm. But as his herald bard, I would go around town and spread horrible rumors about him. <laughs> And so that so that nobody trusted him or liked him or wanted to do any, I'd, I'd write like limericks in the bathroom walls and stuff about the guy, you know. And, uh, and so, so I mean, I'm like that kind of player. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm like I'm passing notes to the DM, like, hey, this is what I'm doing while everybody else is doing this. But I want to keep I want to keep the game rolling. I want to keep it moving, and I want to make sure that everyone's having a good time. And I I kind of do the same thing as a DM uh, when I'm playing. Since I'm playing largely with kids who don't have as much experience, and kids, I mean, they're 16, 17, 18 years old now. But I'm kind of like, you know, what are you gonna do? Think your way through this. You know, describe what you're doing to me. So I'm doing a more of a teacher kind of role uh, mm-hmm. in my home game to to get the folks uh, to to learn them up. You know, but then uh, convention games uh, those are usually pretty over the top. And uh, I don't know. I like to again. I want to make sure everybody at the table feels like they're having a a part to play. You know, I try not to ignore anybody. Or if you got somebody who's being kind of quiet or not sure what they're uh, character can do or what their their actions could be you know i want to i want to make sure that they they really are having a good time and man we've had a we've had some great games and uh north texas rpg con this last year uh uh possessed a uh, barbarian <laughs> with a uh with a mind flayer and uh uh well no actually yeah it was a uh, intellect devourer that was under the thrall of the mind flayer so basically play yeah so he's got an intellect devourer in his brain and he's running around going berserko on the rest of the party i thought pretty sure i was going to get a total party kill on that one but uh i wasn't trying to it just was shaping up that way mm-hmm. but uh they ended up and uh did the right things and and saved themselves and uh they had a little help from the uh from the lucky cats that were in the adventure it was i was running uh encephalon gorgers on the moon in that one so it was a good time yeah gotcha. adventure RPGs for for those of us who make content like this, do these podcasts, listen to stuff like this. RPGs are at the center of a lot of our fondest memories. So, Casey, what is your fondest RPG memory? Man, um, I'd, I'd have to say I've got a few. I've, I've made such great friends over over the years. Uh, like uh, I met Levi probably sixteen years ago, uh, sixteen seventeen years ago, and it was um he was running a uh a, a game of rap and ethic which is uh, dungeon of the graves that's published by by my company uh and uh, i got to work on some content for it it's funny uh it went through two revisions and in one of the recent revisions they forgot my name in it so that's <laughs> i always have to throw that out there and give them garbage about it but mm-hmm. uh i'm in the original paperbacks uh, two and three so you know i got that <laughs> i got that going for me but uh, he's running it and he's really excited because he loves that dungeon it's one of his favorite uh adventures to run at camp at uh, conventions and stuff and he's running like this 24-hour session i guess or whatever and he finds out that i'm one of the guys who kind of worked on it a little bit and he's like hey man you mind sitting in i gotta you know get a drink and go to the bathroom and all this kind of stuff and and uh you know sure and then he comes back and i'm like in the middle of a tpk Uh, (laughs) he's like what happened i'm like dude everything just went you know they went in the wrong room and things went sideways i'm sorry but uh yeah (laughs) do you want me to stop man i was gone for four minutes (laughs) yeah he wasn't gone too long like maybe 20 minutes or whatever but uh that was good um uh you know uh i don't know i'd say 
uh, I've gotten the opportunity to, uh, it helped, it helped me get into the business. So I guess, uh, one of my favorite RPG experiences would be, um, when I got started in the writing, uh, was back when, uh, third edition came out. I didn't know anything about third edition other than my in-laws had bought me the books for Christmas. And it was one of the first times they had a third party advertisement in the back of their book they had an advertisement for sword and sorcery studios uh creature collection one mm-hmm. and uh come play with us on sword and sorcery online or whatever dot com online and i go to sword and sorcery and it's a it's basically a, a sophisticated mud where you could go and play a text-based version of uh of D. so i had a a bard a, a, my mouthy bard and my smart barbarian were my two different characters that i play and i played them in uh separate campaigns because that was the rule mm-hmm. and i start playing with this uh guy who calls himself bofred or something to that effect and uh he's he's pretty cool and uh he's running he's it's like we start out and he's like a paladin and we're playing in his games and i'm playing my uh my bard with his paladin and he starts sending me these instant messages like man i really like these poems where did they come from and i'm like i'm just making them up he's like wow that's really cool i need to talk to you about something later you know and i'm like oh great you know because internet i mean it may have been 20 years ago but it was still the internet and you know (laughs) and i'm playing with this other guy who's got the dumbest name ever uh with my barbarian he's this cleric and his his name is froggy I'm like, that's just a terrible name. How did, you know, I got kicked out for having a different name. How come you got get away with Froggy? He's like, I, I know some people. It's all good. Yeah. And so we play and he's, he's like, wow, I really like the way you play your barbarian guy. I really like how you act out his backstory and all this kind of stuff. And, and plus, uh, your character build is, is just murder, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. And so what he would do is he'd buff me up and we just murder everything we came across. To, nice. And, um, so they both within a, like a week or two were like, you know, uh, they all of a sudden they've got the, uh, the blue band name instead of just the black name, like everybody else, which means they have, uh, game master privileges. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Especially with a dumb name like froggy. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, well we kind of own part of sword and sorcery studios. Okay. Internet. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And the dude's like, I've been talking to my partner and I'd really like you to come play a game with me or write, help, help write this uh, dungeon that we're writing. I'm like, this sounds fishy as all get out, whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, let me think about it. Well, later that day, I run into the other guy playing my other character, and he basically says the same thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, uh, my my buddy, he says he's got a guy. And, uh, you know, I was like thinking, well, I'd like to bring you in too, because if he's bringing somebody in, I want to bring somebody in, you know. And uh, so it turns out the one guy I'm playing with is Bill Webb of uh, Necromancer Games. The other guy I'm playing with is Clark Peterson of Necromancer <laughs> Games. And neither one of them realized they were playing with the same guy. So that's probably mm-hmm. my favorite RPG thing because it got me a, a really cool job. And I've met mm-hmm. so many awesome people over the years. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think anybody else's, like, D&D experience is really going to really going to go there you know yeah it's uh yeah and 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 me of course taking the opportunity to like i'm gonna go to walden books and check this out back when they were still open and there's their book on the shelf and it's like well okay it seems to make sense so but uh yeah it's pretty crazy yeah nice you had a had a pina colada moment there yeah (laughs) (laughs) it really was it was it was uh yeah that was something else and then when they figured out they were both talking to the same guy they both were like of course we are. So, 
Casey, over the years, we've uh, we share the table with a whole variety of people. Some of them are fantastic and some of them just aren't that great. Some of them are downright terrible and the worst players we reserve the term that guy for. So, Casey, <laughs> what is your best or worst that guy story? Oh, man. It'd have to be uh, the first game that I'm running at um, uh, Gen Con, which I did. I went to Gen Con the first time in uh, 2001 and just mm-hmm. had the time of my life. Never expected to ever go to Gen Con and, uh, or meet all the people that I met. And then uh, they're like, hey, we have this thing we got to do. You're running the game. There you go. Boom. And so I could put in this game and uh, uh, it's, it's like the first time I ever really recall catching anyone moving their dice and the guy could not stop like he'd roll and then he'd look around because everyone's talking chatting you know getting their soda on and eating their cheetos or whatever and here he'd be going 14 and he's like I'm, i'm literally sitting like watching him shift his dice and he just he could not stop himself i'm like and and other people it's this other guy you know, we go out to, uh, like, have a smoke because I used to be a smoker and then go out. And he goes, they go, you know, that guy keeps changing his dice rolls every time you do. I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, it's not going to matter. <laughs> and and it, 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 it didn't matter. Uh, I guess the other, the other, I have another one, though. Um, I ran a couple years ago at the high school for with the kids that I work with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how this qualifies, but it was one of those crazy situational moments that you don't expect. Yep. I'm running, um, I can't remember if it was Tomb of Absathor or Rappanathic at lunch for uh, this mixed group. It's like uh, four, four or five seniors and three or four underclassmen. And um, they were, the, the, the seniors were actually pretty... I want to say, I don't know, normal, mature kind of guys and the underclassmen were totally those kind of geeky kind of kids that you expect, yep. you know, and the stereotype or whatever. And, and But I, I liked them all and I made them be nice to each other most of the time. But it was <laughs> the senior's last day of school and we made it into this uh, chamber. It's called the the foggy chamber of the of the naughty trolls. And so it's like a natural occurring fog in this cave and there's water and um, one of the upper class, the, the underclassmen were always late to lunch, you know, mm-hmm. so they're like walking in late, finding their character sheets, whatever. And the upperclassmen had gotten there early because it's their last day and they just showed up at like third hour and started playing D&D and didn't leave. And uh, <laughs> and because uh, they didn't have to be there the next day and um, they scouted ahead and they found that there was trolls in the chamber. And so they pulled back and hid along the edges of the cavern, they hid away from the trolls and they hid away from the incoming underclassmen party that's following these, the trail that the other guys left behind. And, uh, one of the players was a, he was a total heel. I love him to death. Uh, his name's Eli. He was a total heel. He was a cleric of Cthulhu (laughs) (laughs) and he would only heal people if they swore allegiance to Cthulhu. (laughs) He would make them give him blood sacrifice in order to uh, in order to achieve healing and whatnot and mm-hmm. and a portion of their treasure. And he ended up and owned most of the party by the end of the thing. So he's hiding back here. And so are some of the other characters hiding back here. And then they, they just let the trolls attack the other party guys while they hid in the shadow in the in the fog. Then they killed the trolls 
but they continued to attack the party members who didn't die from the <laughs> trolls and pretended they were the trolls while they killed off the rest of the group. So that was that was a that guy moment because mm-hmm. those guys were just absolutely horrible. And of course, the underclassmen did not realize what was happening to them until they started dropping dead. They're like, oh, wait a God. minute, who's hitting me? <laughs> and I'm like, and I said, Ah, the followers of Cthulhu, you know, so, yeah. But, gotcha. uh, yeah, we've had some pretty good games over the years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When it comes to running RPGs, there's a lot of stuff that just seems to kind of come with the territory. And mm-hmm. some of it is stuff that we grow to love as game masters. But some of it just kind of sucks sometimes. So, Casey, what is your least favorite RPG cliche? Oh, man, it's... uh. Uh, he's gonna be so mad because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> I, I, I hate the I hate the the archer with the ten gazillion arrows for everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. And and uh, as my my friend my friend Mac, he's a great, he's a great guy, and he play but he plays one of those guys. And my wife used to play one of those characters, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, I'm, I'm just so sick of the ding 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 Legolas guy who, you know, mm-hmm. he's like. Gee, I didn't do too hot that time. Only forty-five points of damage. I was like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, and that's with four, with fifth edition. It took me a while to find the sweet spot of how to deal with those dudes. Mm. Uh, and in third edition, they were they were pretty. Everyone complained that the Rangers were weak or they messed them up in fifth edition. They messed them up in third edition. I, I didn't see that as a problem. They were a pain all the way back in, in AD&D, too. You know, if you rolled your dice bad and good enough to, to get a Ranger, I mean, geez, just the damage that you did based on a plus one per level. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You know, a 10th level Ranger's doing plus 10 damage every time he swings his sword against, like, frost giants and fire giants and trolls and. Mm-hmm. Anything with a face, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, the 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 Aragorn Legolas murder man ranger guy with the ranged attacks that uh, <laughs> also happens to have a impossible to hit armor class is like just, it, it 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 gets the, it, it, I I don't like it, but I love it because it makes me have to think harder of how I'm going to be a challenge to this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I found that the disintegrate spells work great. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be offended, but when I I, I play uh, two weapon rangers, so doesn't bother me as much. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean I dig it. It's like mm-hmm. I said, they they are just challenging to the to the game master to create yep. a, a a problem that you can't kill your way through with uh, relative ease. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I mean I, I've changed a lot as a game master over the years. Um, I think when I was a kid, I wanted to be more of a story because you want your friends to have a good time and hang out. And then you get to that kind of uh, age where it's like, yeah, I'm just going to murk everybody and see how hard I can make it. <laughs> and then I've, I've kind of come all the way back around where I still want it to be a really tough challenge. And I want there to be an opportunity that somebody might bite the dust. But I also really want to tell a good story and have people really remember that stuff the way I did when I was a kid. You know, no, nothing beat playing through. Uh, slave lords into the giants into the vault of the drow into the you know i mean that whole that whole adventure path has been it well it, it, they didn't call them adventure paths back then but that's what it was mm-hmm. you know or temple of elemental evil you know you go from here and then shred into that um mm-hmm. that that has been very influential on design for me 
because those are stories that people of a certain age who played through those adventures uh, share with each other, and everybody's tale is a little bit different, but it was an epic thing that took maybe a year or two, maybe three years to get through. And they remember every bit of it for the rest of their lives. So last of these uh, these introductory questions, mm-hmm. and this one uh, has stumped many people, including my guest last week, Andrew E. Gaska. And the answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be, Casey. <laughs> okay. So if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oof. <laughs> that, is, that is a really good question. I, I had a... Uh... I, I, I got to be careful. <laughs> I'd, I'd say uh, I'd say I want a uh, one of the places that I created years and years ago was a, a, a tavern of swords. It's co- sort of like the Tainlorn of bars, mm-hmm. called uh, Dirty Bob's Roadhouse. And so, what I want is a re- because uh, Bob was a god that I created. He's kind of a Crom Thor mm-hmm. analog of, of sorts, um, and. Uh, that he only really uh, accepts praise in the form of cursing his name, you know, <laughs> so that his name has become synonymous with a swear word. And I got uh, that inspired a little bit because, you know, we'd get to cursing and swearing around the, the table in the basement at my mom's house, and she'd be like, hey, watch it, you know. <laughs> so we'd come up with other words instead of the real mm. swear words. Uh, yeah. And then I read uh, Harry Harrison's uh, um, uh, Bill the Galactic Hero, and the dirtiest word you could say in the universe was Baub. And, uh, you know, so when the, when the Marine recruiter comes to hire, uh, build a galactic hero, you know, and recruit him into the, uh, space Marines, he's like, you can say anything you want, son. You can even say bow if you feel like it. <laughs> and so, so I, I was, I'm like, that's gotta be a God in this campaign universe, whatever that I create. And now he's published and I've got a dirty Bob's roadhouse. And so I'd want a really, really kick-ass dirty Bob's roadhouse t-shirt that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe maybe uh, the Matthew Lillard's crew over there, uh, the Beetle and Grimm, could design for me. You know, and I mean, I'm a I'm a decent designer, but those guys, you know, they do some they do some killer stuff. So it'd be like, yeah, Beetle and Grimm's Dirty Bob's Roadhouse T-shirt. I think that'd be what I would want. So awesome. Yeah, what's on it? I don't know. Skulls and beer, and swords and all kinds of cool stuff like that. But yeah, for sure. Matthew Lillard is definitely on the wish list of guests, but that's that's the way over here wish list right. that that yeah. Joe Manganello and Matt Mercer are also on. So. <laughs> Joe's Joe's a nice dude. He's a really nice dude, and I I understand from uh, from people who've uh, met uh, Matthew is he's really a cool guy, and I, I just want to I want to ask him about being in the uh, that final season of Twin Peaks because mm-hmm. man, that was cool. So, <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a deep, deep fan of the whole Twin Peaks, uh, you know, universe to really appreciate it, though. But uh, I, I really dug it. And then being in education, I like the idea of a middle school principal who's secretly exploring the occult. <laughs> <laughs> his, his wife thinks he's having an affair with the librarian, and actually, they're trying to summon. Uh, they're trying to explore alternate dimensions. <laughs> that is pretty great. Yeah, I'm like that. Oh man, I'm like, did you come up with that, or was that like David Lynch's <laughs> idea, or you know, because that that's pretty cool. Casey, you brought it up a little bit, and and mm-hmm. this is just something that kind of popped in my head over the past few minutes. D and D and and really RPGs as a whole kind of came out of the Midwest. 
you're from mm. the Midwest. Yeah. Is there something about the Midwest that just kind of is the, the perfect storm of not a whole lot going on that, that makes D&D thrive <laughs> there? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the, the perfect storm would be uh, either long winters or brutally disgusting summers. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I'm from uh, Northeast Iowa. Uh, I'm I'm actually from uh, Waterloo, Cedar Falls area. Which uh, uh, the guys who uh, do the uh, Team TPK, the the TPK games, they're from up there too. Um, and uh, they're good guys. Uh, Brian and his whole crew, they're great dudes. And um, I, I guess, like I said, you get long winters, mm-hmm. so you spend a lot of time inside. I mean. There's some really beautiful terrain up there that, that you wouldn't realize. I mean, you think Wisconsin's beautiful. Um, Minnesota, you got real forests. You actually have um, tall hills, places you can get lost in the woods. Everyone thinks Iowa's flat till they try to ride a bicycle across it, and they, <laughs> uh, that's not happening. Uh, where I'm from, northeast part of Iowa, and then you get on towards the Mississippi River, they've got uh, really tall limestone bluffs. You've got a lot of uh, Indian mounds. There's a lot of history and, and stuff there. And I think you know, going camping and doing that kind of stuff uh, kind of builds your imagination. Um, the education system is better in the Midwest than it is in a lot of other parts of the country, and uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think really anybody can disagree with that. Uh, Iowa, Minnesota, uh, Ill- largely Illinois, if you subtract out uh, urban Chicago because their school systems are, are horrible, uh, and that's that's a whole other thing I'm not getting into. Uh but uh, Illinois, I mean, you look at a lot of the kids who go to the big colleges, they're coming out of suburban Illinois hmm. or suburban uh, Chicago area, you know, and yeah. then that greater Chicago land area that goes up north into uh, southern Wisconsin over there, you know, where Gary Gygax used to live. Uh, so there, there's good education. People are well-read. They're well-versed in history, and they have a lot of time on their hands inside. Uh, those are Those are some big important elements there um and and people think for example i've got all these kids i've got like seven kids who i've taught who are now professionally published illustrators and they're good they're they're not just averagey they're good artists really good artists and uh people go well is it something in wichita kansas that's you know got 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 that going on where the kids are just are they that much more talented than other places is it something you're doing and i'm like well, I mean, it might be that I'm I'm kind of hopscotching a lot of the steps that it takes to you know create good art, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm telling them what aesthetic that publishers are looking to buy, and you know trying to break them of the, and it's not a bad habit, but it's the anime habit, <laughs> uh, you know it it gets them into the it gets them in the door. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna diss it because it gets them in the door. Uh, anime has fantastic dynamic action and mm-hmm. pretty good anatomy until you get to the head where it's got the weird giant eyeballs and little teeny mouth. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, the uh, like I said, education, time indoors, and not having lots of other activities to do. You're not going surfing. You're not going uh, snorkeling. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because the the there's nowhere to do that. There's no coast. I mean, you can go swim in the lakes, I guess, or, you know, swim in the Mississippi or whatever. I've done it, but it's, it's, oops, it's not the same. It's not the same thing. My folks right. live down by, uh, Indian shores, uh, Florida. And yeah, if I had grown up down there, I don't know how much gaming I'd do, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm from I'm from the southeast, and it's I mean, like where I'm from, it's two hours to the beach, it's two hours to the mountains. Uh, there's sports to be played year round. Year round, never, yeah. It's never so cold that you pretty much have to stay inside. So there's there's not a lot of people who are like, I'm going to get really good at playing this instrument or I'm going to get really good at writing or drawing or I'm going to play a lot of D&D or, or stuff like that. Yeah. I want to say my 14th birthday, my friends drove through two and a half, three feet of snow because uh, they did, to come play D&D on my birthday because... <laughs> They didn't have anything else going on, and it's like it was just the dumbest thing, drive through all that snow, but it's like it's what you did if you wanted to get anything done, you know, and they made it, and they made it home and, and whatever, and we had a we had a great session and a good time. But, yeah, it's, it's like that or, you know, I mean, it's, it's even hard to ski in some parts of uh, the, the upper Midwest. I mean, if you live in the upper peninsula of Michigan and up near Canada, yeah, you can ski up there, but the rest of it, it's kind of like compared to where you're, uh, you're out in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no runs that are the equivalent of even a single run that you've got uh, out there, you know? So yeah. Winter sports is snowmobiling <laughs> and, and uh, through cornfields and getting flung off your snowmobile because you hook into a rut that some farmer put in his field. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm actually uh, so I'm not in Colorado. I'm in uh, oh. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, you're in Nashville. Oh, yeah. cool. And so, I thought you were so our our national this. pastime is pretending you're a country singer. Oh, right. <laughs> well, you know, I was actually just there um, about a year ago, December. So uh, for a uh, teaching conference of some mm-hmm. sort. So it was kind of cool, uh, but it was really, really cold, and I was—I did not expect that. Mm-hmm. It is—it's super cold here right now. So yeah, we stayed at the—we uh, stayed at the Gaylord. It was pretty fancy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, awesome. But uh, yeah, we we had like I said, we had a good time, and like I, I think that that pretty much nails it on the head. There's a little bit better education, a whole lot uh, free time, and as you say, no year-round sports. It isn't Texas or Florida where you can. You know, play softball or basketball or baseball all year round. We're going to have to go off on a tangent here because sure. you mentioned something that, that kind of triggers me <laughs> as a a fan of very specific art styles. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there are two styles that are very prevalent mm-hmm. uh, in just all media that, that kind of rub me the wrong way just because of how prevalent they are. One of this is the anime style that, that you mentioned. <laughs> and the other one is that goddamn Cal art animation style. I, I don't know if oh, I'm oh, the, the problem uh, like, or like if... The, um, yeah, I think you mean like the uh, like the uh, Incredibles and stuff like that? or I mean like uh, like the whole We Bear Bears, Adventure Time. That yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get you. I get you. Mm-hmm. That's... Um, my my illustration uh, professor was a dude named uh, O.C. Johnson Jr. I, I say his name all the time because I'm hoping to get the signal out to him, but he's such a technophobe. He just, uh, I, I don't know that he's even associated with anything internet-related at this point in time. But uh, he was a great dude. And uh, we, we were together when South Park came out, you know. We watched the first, like, couple episodes of that, and we just kind of looked at each other. And, okay. <laughs> Because cause as, as artists and illustrators and animators, we're looking at this going, this is like the worst thing that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But then you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, and you're like, also, this is the most like subversive, funny stuff I've ever seen. And, you know, they're still subversive and funny 20 years later. So, yeah, mm-hmm. 24 years. Holy man. 
Uh, yeah. Just felt really old right there. Um, yeah, I get, I get you. The um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, old school art, and I don't necessarily mean old school D and D art. I mean Frazetta. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Boris, but I mean, and also older where their influences come from. Um, they're big fans of like uh, uh, Jericho and um, uh, so these these uh, these uh, romantic artists, the Romanticist artist movement and the Classicist artist movement that both came out of uh, Napoleon's France, you know, and um, so Delacroix, uh, Jericho, um, their their art style is what actually became the stuff that influenced uh, the the later things like the Wyeth, uh, you know, his Treasure Island and Old Pappy Wyeth, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Treasure Island and uh, the Knights of the Round Table and all that that he was uh, illustrating and, and kidnapped in those days. Um, mm-hmm. Everything that that Frazetta did, everything that Boris did, everything that you know, some some of their uh, contemporaries that are still around and working, Joe Jusco and all of that, comes from that tradition of art in in a, in a you know in your uh, 18th uh, well that'd be the 19th century artwork, you know, 19th century uh, art that was designed to evoke uh, emotional feeling and be basically propaganda for you know napoleon's france or whatever and then uh, carried over and, and became an illustrative style mm. um and so uh, i dig that i dig the artwork that kind of uh, lends itself uh back to those kind of things i don't like everything that like modern D the you know wizards of the coast has done art wise mm. It's not to say those guys aren't fantastic artists in their own way. I just, it's kind of like, uh, you know, how many pouches does this dude have to have and how many buttons are on his pants and all of that kind of thing. That stuff, uh, I, I'm, I'm all about attention to detail. And when I'm working with kids, that's what I'm always pointing out, you know, attention to detail. But don't, like, overkill it. Right. And, and I'll give them an example. Uh, you've probably seen Last of the Mohicans, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Okay. If you look at his his pouch and his gear that he carries with him he's just basically got a sling pouch that's got you know his uh, his bullets and his gun and he's got a horn for his gunpowder he's got his mm-hmm. primer his extra flints and all of this stuff it's just this sling pouch and his rifle and his tomahawk and everything is designed for fast movement. So, like your ranger, your two weapon mm-hmm. ranger. I'm thinking yep. ranger. I'm thinking somebody who's got efficiency of gear, as opposed mm-hmm. to having all of this, you know, piles and piles of you know loot bags and garbage that they carry around with them. Yeah. So uh, when I when I look at my uh, friend Mike Sirigos, Michael Sirigos, fantastic artist, and and people should check him out. Um, he he's got it all stripped down in that very. Uh, Frazetta style where it's like, you know, they're basically maybe a pair of pants and a chunk of armor and a weapon, you know, mm-hmm. a braid and they're, they're running off into, into battle. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that because to me, it's more of a flow. If you're rolling around, uh, well, who, who else had a similar kit? Uh, the, the kit that, uh, DiCaprio has, uh, in, uh, Revenant before he gets torn to pieces yep. is very, very much a streamlined, you know, this is yep. my go bag. This is me getting ready to go do my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, uh, but I also like uh, artists that are, you know, conscious of the fact that armor serves a purpose as armor and isn't just there to do the Red Sonia thing. Not that I don't like Red Sonia artwork, because <laughs> I do, but mm-hmm. I, I also play a game with four or five females. 
<laughs> and uh, when they're playing a character, they don't want to play a character that's running around in a chainmail bikini, even mm-hmm. though many of them also think that's really hot. They know it's not, mm-hmm. it's not efficient and appropriate. So right. I'm looking for artwork that's going to uh, reflect what people would actually use and, and mm-hmm. wear, you know. Um, and so I kind of look for that sort of thing. Uh, and that's what I appreciate. I guess when it comes to kind of doing art for <laughs> uh, specifically for like a an RPG, what what's kind of your philosophy <laughs> on on doing that? Okay, um, my thing is I'm I'm pretty good at characters and monsters. That's that's where I kind of lend myself to. Like I'm the guy who's going to do like the the little quarter page piece that fits in the middle. You know, like uh, for Levi's Adventure, the uh, horror hag's jaw. Right. Yeah. Uh, I did the the grouping, the triumvirate of the hag skulls. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I showed them to him, and he made his suggestions and psh, fixed that up. Um, uh, color lighting uh, is is something that I try to incorporate. Um, I try to uh, make it uh, realistic without being too realistic. Uh, uh, Skeeter talks about that. He wants something that's realistic but it isn't necessarily that that still has that i'm a piece of art rather than i'm a photograph aesthetic yeah um so so i look for that kind of thing um uh i look for uh artists like like as an art director i look for artists that have a a significant style Mm -hmm. to their work um like uh if you look at uh stuff that um uh hector he goes by Hackliff, uh Rodriguez does, and people should check all of these guys out on uh, Instagram or wherever they can find their work or art station. Um, Hector has a really unique style, and it's more of a, kind of the old school style, but like the really good, I think the really good covers from, from old AD&D adventure modules. So, gotcha. But he's also got his own flavor to it. So his stuff looks like really amped up Jeff D stuff, you know, Um but he's got a little bit more um, uh, uh, plasticity, you know, like uh, modeling form mm. in his in his work. So it isn't like kind of the flat, like uh, cartoon ish style. It's more rendered, but it's he uses poses and and things that are that uh, mm-hmm. in in that uh, in that way. Um, like I said, with me, uh, uh, it's detailed. But I also want to capture the uh, the the spirit of whatever the thing is that I'm working for. Uh, I was doing a um, one of the devils for a Tomo of Horrors 2020, and I was uh, I was doing uh, Belial, right? And he's always been one of those ones who's kind of a kind of a if you read through any lore about him in, in any kind of RPGs, he's he's the uh, he's kind of the smartass uh, like rock star devil you know who's yep. out there he, he's the one who's gonna steal the uh trident submarine and launch the nukes you know he, <laughs> yeah. he's he, he's the guy who's gonna possess people and convince them to do other kind of things and then he's gonna sit back and go oh yeah so <laughs> you know so i kind of made a guy who's that kind of thing he's obviously still lawful evil but he's like all lawful evil and kind of uh i don't know uh i, I don't really have a good way to pigeonhole him but you know he he's the he's the uh He's like the 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 long hair and the beard, you know, guy who's like uh, he's out there to to stir it up. He's, he he hangs out with more demons than he should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And so, so that's kind of the look that I went for. And I wanted one where he's like flying right out at you. And, you know, he's got like his charred angel wings and his, you know, burning halo and his, mm. you know, beard and kind of crazy look. Um, you, you want to really get into like the feel of whatever the character is that, uh, that you're going for. Um, and, uh, like, uh, I hired a guy not too long ago called, uh, I'm going to try not to murder his name because he's really, really good. And you're going to be seeing a lot of his art in the not too distant future. It's a Quentin Sobruyard. He's from France. And, uh, <laughs> he did, uh, speaking of Hag's job, he did the cover. And, uh, I think on, um, uh, it came from Planet X. Levi's posted it on his Instagram at one of these points in time. And uh, it's it's pretty stellar. He's He's got more of a painterly style, you know. It looks mm. like it's painted in, like, thicker colors. And, again, really brilliant, brilliant color, things that really pop out at you and say, you know, woof, this is this is going to be an adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to have that uh, that real punch you in the face heavy metal epic magazine kind of look to it you know that's that's uh, where my my passion is i guess for my childhood so because i wasn't censored (laughs) like i probably should have been so there was a a previous guest on my show uh, a guy named hankerin fernail um he he has gone by other names he's got a great youtube channel called rune hammer and he was doing a live oh yeah he's he's fantastic he he's a great dude but he was doing a live stream one time talking about just kind of even just writing an RPG. And he said that you should write when you're writing, you should write in a like pages or page maker, whatever tool you're using to actually like format the RPG so that you make the words fit with how the, the pictures are going to go. Is that something mm-hmm. that you would agree with as well? I think you do that if you don't trust your layout artist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and I don't mean that in any kind of, that's a, that's a brilliant way to, I think yeah. about, I think about page design as I'm, uh, working on stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I guess maybe that's, that's, that's a good question. I've written a ton of books and I've basically the last several I've uh, kind of art directed. And then the, the bosses came back to me and said, you know, you're just going to art direct all of our books now. We're going to pay you for it. <laughs> Because uh, your books look better than our books, and we're tired of it, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's that's kind of the thing, you know. So, so now for me, it's uh, if I'm picking out the art for my own book, I know what pieces I want and where I want the art to fit on the page, and so I'll just order the artwork to fit the piece of the page, mm-hmm. right? Or, or you know, where that specific uh, content is going to go. Um, and, uh, I read, uh, uh, Alex Cammer's, uh, Sea King's Malice pretty thoroughly and worked with him like hand in glove for a couple months with, uh, uh, our, our studio of artists to, uh, really get him the pieces that he wanted. And we did a lot of, uh, thinking about the page design as, uh, I was ordering the artwork, <laughs> which is a little bit different than writing to what you want the page to look like, but it's, it's the same process. Uh, and we're, we're lucky we have some really talented uh, layout people. Yep. And I have a graphic design degree, so I just kind of go and I'll talk graphic design to our layout guy and I'll talk uh, illustration to our artists. And if uh, something falls in the middle, then I just do the art myself to, to get the piece that I, that's going to fit in that part of the book, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of a cool thing to be able mm-hmm. to do. And uh, yeah. I'm very blessed and lucky to be in that position where I get to do that. 
I mean, he's one of those guys. He does everything. Yeah, he, he is. He's a one man operation with his with his stuff. So he's doing the art and doing the layouts and writing the RPGs. So I I understand where where he's coming from with that. But I mean, like you said, if if you're working with someone who you know ha- has a good a good vision in their head or, or mm-hmm. just has a good a good mind for the way a page should look at that point, then you're probably fine if you, you put it in a word processor document and send it over to them. Right. You know, you're in good hands. Right. And I mean, I want to, I want to trust my editors. I want to trust mm-hmm. the content people. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not doing it all in that regard. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing like, I'm doing, I'm doing writing. I'm doing art. I'm doing, uh, art direction. I'm hiring artists and giving them assignments and things like that. Uh, and I'm suggesting content to other authors and what have you. But, uh, I, I, there is something to be said about the guys, you know, like him who are literally doing it all on their own. And I, I definitely applaud that and, and get where they're going. Uh, my big thing when I'm designing and writing an adventure is I want it to, it's, it's, it's like a two edged sword here because mm-hmm. I'll get knocked for it in reviews, but then other reviewers will go, no, that's actually really cool. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a, a three star. I don't know, whatever that means. But uh, like, I want it to be playable, but I want it to be challenging because the idea of the challenge is if it's challenging and you guys almost die, then you're going to remember it forever. And mm-hmm. if it's just easy you're not going to remember it forever. It's not going to be something that sticks. So I try to write things that are challenging, but I get accused sometimes of writing plots that are a little too complicated. But at the same time, I don't understand that because I also say, I, I put in pretty extensive lists of, well, if this happens, then this, and if this happens, then this, and if this happens, and everything goes off the rails here's how you as the game master can save your adventure. So that's mm-hmm. included in all of my adventures. And then some people go, Oh, well you shouldn't have to put that in there because then you're baby talking people. But then I turn around and read reviews where this was too hard. And I'm like, well, yeah, maybe, maybe your players are kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't mean, I don't know. That sounds insulting and I don't mean to be that way. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's it's a it's it's a kind of a challenge all the time to be like what's going to be fun, what's going to be memorable, what's going to be hard but not too hard, and what's mm-hmm. gonna what's gonna also conduce itself to to looking cool and creating a product that people are going to want to spend their money on because stuff is not cheap and it gets more expensive all the time. And I want to give people the best possible product that we can give them for for their money, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's all very important to me. So as we're kind of winding down here, um, one last topic I kind of want to cover, and this is very much just because it's what's happening in my world with gaming right now. This Wednesday, I am actually gearing up to start for the first time my first session of Dark Sun. Have you ever run it, and do you have any advice for running it? Uh, I haven't. Are you running it in uh, the two E OG version with the little flip books, or are you running a like a fifth edition homebrew? What's the what's your? I'm running. On it? I'm running a fifth edition version mm-hmm. uh, using some some kind of tweaks to fifth edition done by a friend of mine, DM Dave. Okay. What's the player experience of the group that you're running with? Are they like new to gaming and they've never played before? Are they veteran gamers? Have any of them ever played Dark Sun before? So one of them played a little bit of Dark mm-hmm. Sun back in the in the two E days. 
all of these guys are super experienced. I'm actually the least experienced guy at the table. Okay. Um, all right. The, the deal with Dark Sun is that unless they're kind of prepped with the fact that you start with nothing, mm-hmm. you are, you are uh, about to be fodder to the God Kings. Yep. And in some way, shape, or form, you have to exist, survive, and make mm-hmm. your way, carve your way through a very brutal world where there's a strong chance of, of death. Uh, and so if they're all cool with that, then cool. Because one of the things that I know that players have always hated is when you, A, take all their stuff away from them, or mm-hmm. B, start them out with a toothpick. <laughs> yeah. And, and and brutalize them for a couple sessions until they finally uh, stand up to their uh, their masters, you know, break the chains and uh, you know go all Spartacus on everything. Yeah. So um, I'd say be prepared for possible frustration mm-hmm. because if they're used to playing a normal five E game where they just kind of do whatever they want whenever they want, uh, low level fifth edition characters are unbelievably powerful. Yeah. They don't get squishy, I found. And this is what was my learning curve. They don't get squishy until about ninth level, 8th or ninth level. I found them almost impossible to injure until about 8th or ninth level. And then all of a sudden, they're, like, dropping dead left and right. And it's like, yeah. okay, now we're now we're in my game. Uh, mm-hmm. And now it's time for me to me to shine. So, um, but, yeah, the Dark Sun is, is um, I'd say, have you watched the... Uh, the uh, John Carter movie lately. I have actually never seen the John Connor movie. The John Carter. The John, yeah, John, John Carter. Carter. Yeah. Watch. I have seen two of the John Connor yeah. movies. <laughs> actually, three. But I only yeah. want to talk about two of them. Yeah. Um. <laughs> despite despite the uh the the bad the bad press the bad publicity mm-hmm. whatever that was <clears throat> that was movie politics. Uh, John Carter movie was actually really good. And it's worth a watch if you're gonna watch, if you're gonna run Dark Sun because it's got that kind of flavor to it. Uh, they they were they were true to the spirit of Burroughs, if not necessarily the actual uh, story. Um, yeah. And I appreciated that. Uh, so it's it's definitely worth a watch because it's Dark Sun's got a kind of a feel like that. Another one would be uh, uh, Fire and Ice, Ralph Bakshi, Frank Frazetta. I've seen it. Okay, I love that movie. That's that's a that's a good uh, inspirational film for for that. Um, uh, OG Conan the Barbarian, you know, mm-hmm. you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Um, what's another one that's uh, Bakshi's Wizards? I've not seen Wizards. There's a lot of weird Bakshi stuff that I still need to see. Yeah, Wizards is Wizards is great because it's it's good uh, it's good material for both um, like. Uh, your uh, Gamma World type games, uh, you know, Mutant Crawl Classics, uh, and uh, also also like a Dark Sun campaign, um, and uh, yeah, de- but definitely uh, the the John Carter one's kind of easy to digest right there, uh, and um, yeah, I- I'd say start with those, and that'll get you kind of in the in the vibe of you know kind of a semi primitive, semi technical wasteland worlds that. Uh, uh, have a uh, powerful sorcerer, God, dragon, king people <laughs> that are maybe pulling strings behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. and most definitely are uh, out to do your characters. Uh, no goodwill. Yeah. Um, there was some dark sun, uh, inspiration went into, uh, designing the, uh, the plane of molten skies for when we did the uh, city of brass, uh, adventures. 
And gotcha. uh, yeah, so uh, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't actually played Dark Sun in you know a long, long time. And I remember the first couple sessions, the characters were pretty mad because they didn't have anything, and you know they're like fighting with bone spears and making you know armor out of like bug skin and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, but uh, after they kind of got into it, they enjoyed it. It was just uh, we got to a stage where we were playing more James Bond and games like that, and Mm-hmm. So, gotcha. yeah, but for sure, it should be fun. Absolutely, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Now, Casey, we're we're at the end of our time here, so mm-hmm. I'm going to turn over the rest of the episode to you. Okay. Anything you have to promote? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, go ahead, the floor is yours. Okay, um, just uh, I did uh, actually take some notes for once uh, for myself, so I wouldn't forget. Uh, I, we are just we've got about two weeks left, a little over two weeks left on uh, Tomo Horrors 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, got to hire uh, almost a dozen artists to do some really fantastic artwork. Uh, I've got Adrian Landeros, Michael Siragos, uh, Faith Berger. Um, I got uh, uh, Josh Stewart. You know, uh, got uh, Quentin. Uh, I've got uh, no Silverline isn't doing that, but Subaru Yard. Sorry. His name is uh, Sid Quaid. Is a dude from up in Kansas City. He's really good. He's one of our new guys. Uh, Twan Fam, Twan and Faith were both uh, students of mine, uh, and their their stuff is really really good. Their uh, their works uh, getting featured on some uh, Instagram posts on the uh, Necromancer Games. So follow Necromancer Games Instagram and uh, check that out. Um, we. Uh, a lot of new monsters. I'm currently writing new monsters for that book because we made a couple of stretch goals. So whenever we make a stretch goal, they're like, Casey, go make five more monsters and then either hire artists or do the art yourself. Okay. You know, geez, I'll break my arm by giving me money to do what I like to do. Uh, in a couple weeks, we have, uh, uh, or sooner, probably within the week, they'll be doing Indiegogo uh, Feast of the Gobbler, which is a revised, re-edited version of an adventure that I wrote in 2002 specifically to try and win an any award. I did not win, but I did get nominated, so that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. But now we're releasing it for 5th edition and Swords and Wizardry, and uh, it has artwork by myself and uh, Mike Siragos. It's kind of a spoof of... Uh, all of the old timey classic uh, adventures from uh, like White Box D and D, except you know like Temple of the Frog things like that. But at the same time, it's also a spoof on the spirit of Thanksgiving, and it uh, is set in parts of Iowa that I used to frequent when I was little that have been rebranded in the D&D world. Uh, the artwork is, is just killer. Uh, the adventure, it starts out really goofy, and then everyone's running, screaming, and that's what you want with the Thanksgiving get-together for your family and friends. And uh, I know people who run it every year for their family on Thanksgiving, and they just love it. And now they're going to get the official revised, revised rewritten version uh, with full-color artwork in a limited-edition print run. Then uh, we'll be doing Horror at Hag's Jaw around Christmas time. What else do we have going? That's uh, Levi Combs. And his is going to be through our Necromancer Games imprint instead of the Frog God imprint. Uh, it'll be the first one of the Necromancer Games imprint books coming out. And that'll be an Indiegogo. And I want to say our next Kickstarter is going to be the box set for Swords and Wizardry, uh, the one of the best uh, retro clones of uh, old white box D&D that you can find. And uh, we have artwork by uh, 
Quentin Silbruyard, uh, Ed Bickford, who does a lot of work for Planet X Games, um, Adrian Landeros, who's also one of my old students. That kid's just insane. Do I have one of his pictures? I think it's in my wife's office. I've got a drawing that he did. It's like mm-hmm. it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, and last but not least, I want to mention, and this is really important to Frog God, Necromancer, and a lot of my other friends, which is uh, we're going to have a Humble Bundle come out in December. And if you're not familiar with Humble Bundle, it's a great place to jump in for a lot of our product lines for uh, for Swords and Wizardry or 5th Edition, our Frog God games, uh, Necromancer games. And uh, a lot of times Troll Lords and uh, some of the other companies uh, will, will kick in some product in there as well. My personal part to that will be a group of short stories based on artwork by Santa Norvisite and Adrian Landeros called... Uh, the, uh, the Tales from the Roadhouse 2, really original. <laughs> and uh, I'm uh, finishing up these short stories for that. One of them is going to be an exploration of the underworld, and another one talks about that uh, that god with the dirty name that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> so, yeah, that's I got a ton of work going on, and uh, they've got me busy pretty much for the foreseeable rest of my life, as far as I've been told. So it's a good place to be. I really appreciate the... Uh, the good fortune that I've had in my life to meet the fantastic people I've met and uh, name drop them on stuff like this whenever I get a chance. So I appreciate it. Well, Casey, thank you for, for coming on the show. Uh, it's, it's been a great episode. I'm, I'm glad that we got to get to sit down and, and talk finally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now guys, uh, next week, it's a little bit up in the air what we're doing next week. I'm hoping, hoping beyond all hope that uh, I will be able to get Tom from the Knights and Nerds podcast on to talk about the exploits of his character Giladab Fable Stable on that uh, that podcast, you should all be listening to. Uh, if that does not come through, though, I will be doing a solo episode where I probably rant about how my Dark Sun game is going. So there's that. Hopefully, Tom will be able to to come on the show. Um, until then, DMs, best of luck pulling one over on your players and players. May the dice go in your favor when that DM pulls something over on you. I'll see you next time.